Hello, I'm Party Parslow, and this is episode four of series two of Party in China. And it makes 29 times that we've done this together. 29. And I'm the one doing all the talking. Now it's your turn. Tell me something about yourself. Well, that's fascinating, but let's get back to me. I'd had a quiet week at school, mainly because I'd been faking laryngitis. My throat had been sore on Sunday, and when I awoke Monday with no voice, I found the students surprisingly understanding, even solicitous. So despite feeling better by that afternoon, I kept it up for the whole week. I just walked into each class, wrote, I cannot speak today, watched the movie quietly on the blackboard, put on an old Bond film and went and looked out the window. Even skiving off though, I still wanted to feel like I'd taught them something. And I knew that they'd read the Chinese subtitles rather than actually pay attention to the spoken English. So I wrote up a few words that they should listen for and put up their hands when they heard them. Plus their definitions. In Live and Let Die, those three words were voodoo, Harlem and honky. As I waited for someone to spot each word, I fantasised about that glorious day in the future when one of these students would call some Western white person a honky. I liked not talking. It was peaceful, simple. And as I only saw each class once per week, I thought I'd get away with it. But there were a couple of problems. Twice, idiot boys started misbehaving and I automatically yelled at them and then had to cover my sudden recovery by faking a major coughing fit. They looked suitably remorseful after that and one brought me a paper cup of water. The other gave me a boiled sweet. I may have underestimated my acting skills as several seniors were so concerned they offered to take me to a doctor. When I mimed my polite refusal, they took their concern to their class teacher, several of whom spoke to Mr Wong, who tried to make me go to the hospital. So I could only keep it up until that Friday and had to abandon the ruse after a wonderful week of mainly silence. The whole thing reminded me of when I was around 10 years old and somehow got the idea that we were all born with a certain number of words, each with a different personal amount. And once you'd spoken all of your words, then you'd die. As I wanted to live forever, I stopped talking. Naturally, this was noticed at school and even my parents caught on eventually, although I think my teacher may have rung home and told them. Under interrogation, I pleaded laryngitis, but when the family doctor couldn't find anything wrong with my throat, he referred me to a Macquarie Street specialist. Ooh, this was a big deal. As my mother impressed upon me many times in the days before the appointment, another dozen or so on the train to the city, and with two or three final reminders as we entered the huge convict quarried stone building where the almighty specialist deigned to grant audiences to lower life forms such as slightly demented schoolboys. The waiting room was impressive, with real leather couches and real timber lining the walls. 
At home, we had vinyl furniture and fake wallpaper. My father had a paint roller with interchangeable cylinders featuring different designs so you could paint a pattern on the wall. Much cheaper than wallpaper, but even so, only one wall per room was thus decorated. My mother described it as the feature wall, but Dad said it was to save paint. To enter the consulting room, I had to open huge double doors, again upholstered in leather, like those of a Bond villain's lair. The specialist himself was a large man who looked both intelligent and quick to anger. I instinctively knew that I couldn't get anything past him, so I told the truth, even though, as I explained quite angrily, in so doing I was shortening my time on the planet. He looked at me for quite a long time and then said, wait outside and send your mother in. I obeyed, holding the double doors open for mum and closing them as slowly as possible so that I could eavesdrop. But all I heard before they shut off all sound was, you have a very unusual boy there, Mrs. Parslow. We travelled home in total silence. The incident was never mentioned again and I soon converted to the belief that it wasn't the amount of words you uttered, but the amount of sperm you sputtered, which decided the length of your life. Having discovered the joys of masturbation, I was convinced I'd be dead before the age of 20. But once I discovered the much more thrilling joys of naked women, I eased up on the DIY and hoped to make it to 30. The week after my fake laryngitis, I received another email from Sunny's. Hi there. Dragon Boat Festival is coming. According to state regulations, this holiday is from 10th to 12th. And this week, you need to work seven days until 9th. Maybe your school has own arrangement. So follow your school arrangement. Have a good time. Sunnies. Yes, once again, we were required to make up for national holidays by working extra days around the break. In this case, seven days straight in the first weeks of June. Now, once again, this irked me. And once again, I tried to explain that by definition, this was not a holiday. I'd given up at the school by now, so I sought peer support and understanding from the crowd at Juanita's. But no. Dong Era said, that's what we always do. Kesner said, We have to work harder to have time off. And Winita said, Shut up, this is China. You'd often hear foreigners say, This is China, and the ones who'd spent years there use the acronym TIC. It's the catchphrase to end a tale of some incomprehensible local frustration and express the constant bewilderment mixed with rueful resignation because it's our own stupid fault for living there. The Dragon Boat Festival is exactly what it sounds like, a bit of fun with lots of colour and movement. My Chinese friends were astonished that Westerners even knew about Dragon Boats and openly scoffed at my claim that you could regularly see them either practising or racing on Sydney Harbour. I'd printed out a map and a timetable of where and when these dragon boat races were going to take place. And on each of our days off, I walked quite a long way to those places. 
on each of our days off, those races were taking place somewhere else. But the walks were nice as most of the riverside is parkland and the weather had finally warmed up a bit. The welcome heat brought thunderstorms at night though with lightning that was almost constant and thunder which was more or less continuous. Each booming blast just merged into the next. It was weird and sort of wonderful in an apocalyptic way. So the only dragon racing I saw was on the news, including a quirky and quacky competition at the end of the day when the dragon boats had all returned to shore. A few ducks were thrown into the water. Not usually a problem for ducks. But these ones must have had their wings clipped because young men then threw themselves into and swam madly after the birds, who paddled madly to get away, while unsuccessfully trying to make it into the air. The narration was in Sichuan Hua, but it's apparently very good luck to catch one. Although not for the duck, obviously. <coughs> Certain Chinese celebrations require certain Chinese food. Mooncakes for the Mid-Autumn Festival, for instance. The Dragon Boat Festival is celebrated with Zongzhu, which are rice and red beans, or sometimes pork, rolled up in bamboo leaves, tied up with string and steamed. Very similar to what we call sticky rice. When Mr Wong rang me to say... Mr Party, there is a journalist coming to the school. To see you. I happily anticipated some quick cash for another voiceover gig. But no. This time the local television station, DYTV, wanted to film the funny foreigners simultaneously making zongju and idiots of themselves. So that afternoon Trevor and I reported to the school canteen where we met the camera crew, some of our more accomplished seniors, and a dozen or so Thai exchange students. Inexplicably, the news that evening failed to feature my entertaining piece to camera, in which I explained that making zongzhu was difficult for me, as my fingers were too fat for the tiny little string. Holding the string and my hand close to the lens in turn, I said, Small string, fat fingers, small string, fat fingers, small string, fat fingers. Well, I thought it was funny. Obviously, they didn't. However, Trevor's Zongju attempts were considered much more amusing and he got most of the airtime. At the end of the shoot, we'd been told to show our finished products to the camera and I'd swiped one of the professionally made ones and pretended it was mine. No one believed me. Instead of being a nice little parcel, Trevor's ended up with two leaves still sticking out either side like wings. When I pointed out that his Zongju looked like a bat, he ran around the canteen with it like a two-year-old runs around with a toy plane. The camera crew loved it and coached him to say something in Chinese like, Making Zongju is easy and they are delicious. I would like to fly this one home to my family for them to eat. He got a big laugh. Upstaged again. Damn it. Several weeks after the earthquake, 
Lucy from Parade Private School contacted me as they were ready to start the foreign teacher lessons once more. When we'd negotiated the terms more than a month before, I'd foolishly assumed that 100 yuan an hour meant 100 yuan per class. But that's a trap for beginners. Lucy now insisted that it meant 100 yuan per 60 minutes in the classroom. So if I was at parade for five or six hours but only taught four 30-minute classes, I was only paid 200, not the expected five or 600 yuan. Of course, I didn't receive that nasty surprise until I received the annoyingly light red envelope after the first weekend. That first morning, I'd grabbed my USB stick with the Australian Animals slideshow, which featured cute furry beasties instead of scary murderous creatures. I had the students hop like kangaroos, pretend to climb trees like koalas, and pretend to dig like wombats. And as they performed the actions, I encouraged them to make the sounds of that animal. Which was when I realised that many Australian animals don't really make sounds, or none that I know of anyway. So when hopping, they made the sound from Skippy the bush kangaroo. When climbing, they made loud chewing and lip-smacking noises. And the wombat digging action was accompanied by the sound of Daffy Duck saying, Sarsaparilla. Parade was generally much nicer than Jordan's, although suffering from the same sort of brightly manic cartoon interior design. Everybody was lovely, the students were more attentive and better behaved, and I felt valued, although that value wasn't reflected in my payback. The school even advertised my services with a poster promoting my classes, which was a pleasant first. Unfortunately, they didn't use the photo I'd supplied, featuring me grinning broadly in motorcycle leathers on my Harley Davidson. When I asked why, Lucy replied that with the hat, she meant the helmet, and sunglasses, they couldn't see enough of my face. Sure, that was the reason. I found I really enjoyed the change from the huge classes at my main job. When imagining my new teaching career, I'd always seen myself with small groups of dedicated students in their mid-teens. I hadn't thought much about younger learners. In fact, I find kindergarten classes akin to teaching orangutans synchronised swimming and much prefer students who can have a conversation and ask questions. Even the unanswerable questions like at parade, when a girl of perhaps 10 years very seriously asked me, Ah, Mr. Party, why are you so white? Coming up soon on Party in China, my final few weeks in Diang, which featured the magnificent Muppets and some truly terrible music, including an accordion solo from a thrash metal band. Yes, you heard me right. I'm Party Parslow. Thank you for listening to Party in China. You've been listening to Party in China. For more, like us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter. Subscribe to the podcast at Audio Boom, Stitcher, iTunes, or your favorite podcast distributor. This has been another quality podcast production from Bytes.com.